Thanks for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City Podcast. Our mission is to help broken people become devoted followers of Jesus. If you'd like to visit us in person, we are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway here in beautiful Johnson City, Tennessee. You can become a giving partner by visiting us at believerschurchjc.com. We love you, we are praying for you, and we hope you enjoy today's message. So I had a student approach me on the last day of class this past semester, and he had a lot of questions about faith. I had just finished my favorite class that I teach. It's called Appalachian Christianity, and it raises a lot of questions about faith. It's really about, uh, the class is about what uh, spirituality and Christianity look like in the South and in the Bible Belt, and how we may practice certain things in churches that are a little bit different in the way they're practiced in other areas of the country, like how kind of our social norms and our cultural uh, stuff starts to kind of pour into the way that we do worship and things like that. It's a, very, it's a very interesting class. I really, really like it a lot. So I had this student approach me afterwards, and he starts asking me all these questions about spirituality. And as you can imagine, I don't have permission through the state to share my faith in class. But if a student comes up to me after class or at a different time and asks me questions, I can share anything that I want to. And he says to me when he's talking about the afterlife that I'd like to think if there is a God there that he will see that I tried to live a good life. And I think that's where a lot of people are. They, they hope that if there is a God, that this God sees that they tried their best to live a good life. He went on to share that he had hope but he didn't have faith, which was kind of tricky for me to understand because my hope actually comes from my faith. And that may be the way that a lot of you feel as well. So we got into some talking about deeper things. I, start, I started to share what scripture shared about, uh, about sin and about the redemptive power of Jesus to deliver us from that. And it was clear that he was listening, but he just wasn't quite there yet. He wasn't ready to take all that stuff in. So it's one of those questions that I really hope uh, one of those conversations that I really hope comes about another day. So I think these questions and these concerns for people create an appropriate time for us to make this the last message of Unstoppable Church before we start to go into some other things. We covered 13 parts. We had a couple individual messages in there like last week that we shared, but we are going to pick that back up next year. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 15 if you want to turn there. This is part 33. Acts chapter 15, we're going to look at the first couple verses, and then we're going to look at verses 5 through 12. Acts chapter 15, meaning that sometime next year we'll get into a latter part of Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to look at verses 5 through 12. And I just have to say that the work that God has done through this series, and even just through this year, has been absolutely phenomenal, what we've been able to see and I'm so excited about the work that God is going to continue to do. So Acts 15 verses 1 and 2 say this. Some people came down from Judea teaching the family of believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom you have received from Moses, you can't be saved. Paul and Barnabas took sides against the Judeans and argued strongly against their position. 
The church at Antioch appointed Paul and Barnabas and several others from Antioch to go up to Jerusalem to set this question before the apostles and before the elders. This is eventually going to be, uh, come, to known, come to be known as the Jerusalem Council, a very important council that looks at a lot of the close early doctrinal issues of the church. Now we're going to skip up to verse 5. Some believers from among the Pharisees stood up and claimed that the Gentiles must be circumcised. They must be required to keep the law, uh, keep the law from Moses. The apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. After much debate, Peter stood and addressed them. Fellow believers, you know from early on, God chose me from among you. This is way back in Acts 1. Fellow believers, you know from early on, God chose me from among you as the one from whom the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and come to believe. God who knows people's deepest thoughts and desires confirmed this by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did for us. He made no distinction between us and them and purified their deepest thoughts and desires through faith. Why then are you now challenging God by placing a burden on the shoulders of these disciples that neither were nor our neither our ancestors nor us could bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved in the same way by the experience of the grace of the Lord Jesus. The entire assembly, the Jerusalem council, fell quiet as they listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all of the signs and wonders God did among the Gentiles through their activity. And I'm recognizing something. If this rain continues, some of y'all are going to fall asleep. So I might just have to scream here in just a minute. It sounds absolutely wonderful. Why can't, this just, why can't it sound like this at home every single night? All right, so I'm, I'm just going to keep going with this. Um, historical references tell us that the, as a result, the Jerusalem Council decided that Gentile converts to Christianity were not obligated to the same rules that were prescribed to the Jews within Judaism. An example of this would be circumcision of males, which is going on in this passage right now. So this brings about the million-dollar question that I think we really need to think about today. What is it that makes a person right with God? All right, and I know that if I were to ask in society, there would be a million different definitions, uh, such as the example, if I'm just good enough, I hope that's going to be enough. But what is it that makes a person right with God, or to use very Christian language that's actually used in this passage, what is it that actually makes a person saved? If you didn't grow up in church, you may not even be familiar with that kind of language or what it means, but what is it that makes a person right with God, and what is it that makes a person saved? So what Peter is going to do is he's defending this position is he's going to go on to share this. And this is what my prayer is today and what I want you guys to think about. I'm going to, I'm going to assume that 75% of this room or more believe they are going to heaven one day. That 75% of this room or more believe that they've experienced God or they have a relationship with God they may just not know exactly how they came about that relationship. It may be just like the student that I mentioned. They feel as if they've lived really good lives. For other people, they were raised in church. <clears throat> For other people, one day they went down and they prayed a prayer. 
in a Baptist church, in a Methodist church, in a Pentecostal church, in a Sunday school classroom. They went down to the altar. They had a parent lead them. And they're holding on to this as their security. So what we're going to do today is we're going to uncover very specifically what it means to be a Christian. And my prayer is that as you came in this room this morning, and a lot of you that are in here right now, you are absolutely certain of that. You don't question that. You know exactly where you stand with God, and there's no question about that whatsoever. But for some of you, there may be some questions surrounding that. And for others of you, you're just kind of like, I'm just not sure. There's some that walked in here this morning that said, I'm convinced that I'm saved. I'm convinced that I'm right with God. But as we start to talk about some of these things, you may fall under the spirit, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And you may say, well, maybe I need to reinvestigate this. Maybe I need to consider what this looks like. Maybe I'm not in a place in which I know that I know that I know that if I die today, I'm going to go to heaven. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So what Peter does is he gives us three ingredients that are necessary. Two of these ingredients aren't enough. One is not enough. These are the three things that transpire and happen as a person comes to know God. Okay, and here are the three, and we're going to walk through these quickly. The first one is this, believing the gospel. And we're going to talk here in just a minute, about a minute, because some of you are like, well, I've heard the word gospel a thousand times, but I don't necessarily know exactly what that means. So the first one is believing the gospel. The second is the witness of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. And as a person is coming to believe the gospel, and the witness of the Holy Spirit is entering into this person's life, there's an experience of grace that is going on. So believing the gospel, the witness of the Holy Spirit, and the experience of grace. And you know, you may not be wonderful with like all this Christian language, but you have experienced these things. Like you've really experienced these things and you know you have a relationship with God. Whereas other people may be very familiar with this kind of language, yet they've not truly and fully experienced it. Experienced it. So because I think there's a lot of confusion in our society around what these things mean today, because you also have the argument there are multiple ways to God, there are multiple ways uh, to heaven. Um, heaven is real, but hell is not, or hell is just like this psychological idea of separation from God. Uh, this is where a lot of people stand. So what is the difference between these two, and what brings a person to God? Okay, so as we end this series today, the, kind of, the, the question that I want to ask is, what is it? Or what does it take to make a person a Christian? To bear that title, to bear the title follower of Jesus, what does that mean? First, you must believe the gospel. That is the very first thing that you have to do, which brings about another really good question. What in the world is the gospel? So if I were to ask a lot of people in this room right now, can you define the gospel? Or what is the gospel? I'm probably going to get five to seven different answers on what the gospel actually is. So here's what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news that Jesus is king. The gospel is the good news that the identity claims that Jesus made whenever he was here are actually true. 
This is not just a madman. This is not somebody that's crazy. This is not something that just some kind of a person that was a prophet or a teacher that did these wonderful things. But the claims that he made that made a lot of people uncomfortable, saying he and the I and the Father are one, it's going to make a lot of very educated Jews uncomfortable in the first century. So he is who he said he was. He was the son of God that died for the sins of the world, offers what we're talking about today, salvation, and he seeks beyond that to bring the kingdom of God here and transform your life. If salvation were simply believing the gospel and just accepting that Jesus was Lord, and there was nothing else to your life, you would have like shot up to heaven right that second. There would have been no longer any reason whatsoever for your existence here. But this idea, which is an entirely different sermon, of bringing the kingdom of God here, the justice and the goodness of God in a broken world, also defines what the gospel is and what we embody as Christians. So believing the gospel involves several different things, because I could tell you, and you could tell me, well, I believe the gospel. Well, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, I believe that um, he's coming back one day. Well, I believe that I've made a lot of mistakes and I've not done very well, but one day I will go to heaven because, because I do believe that he died on the cross for my sins. It's more than that. All right, this word belief, what it actually uh, connotates here and denotes is action on a person's heart. So I could say, I believe in George Washington, that he was the first president. I could say, I believe that Abraham Lincoln was the president. I could, I could say, I believe that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I, didn't, I have the faith that those things really happen because history books have told me that, but it's not changing my life. Like it's not bringing transforming characteristics to my life. So a lot of people who go to church, don't go to church, grew up in the United States of America, they will say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the gospel, but there's no evidence of transformation that actually takes place in their life. So if you are even vaguely the person that you were, this is the point at which you ask questions about really believing the gospel. So what does it mean to step in and to believe the gospel? It means a few different things. First, it means confession. It means confession, and it doesn't mean you have to come down to an altar like this. You could be at home. Uh, you could be with, with, a, with a friend. You could have just realized you made one of the biggest mistakes in your life, and then all of a sudden you've, you're in your car, and, and you're, just, you're just fed up, and you're finished. And that's the story for some of you. So there's this confession as you start to pour out, God, I have messed up. God, I am acknowledging I cannot do it on my own. I've tried to do good. And for some of us, it's I've tried to be a good husband, or I've tried to be a good wife, or I've tried to be a good dad, or mom, or friend, and I just, this corruptibility that is me because of my nature, I just can't get over it. Like, I've, I've tried to quit drinking, I've tried to quit using drugs, I've tried to quit cheating, I've tried to quit lying, and it's just here. And it's this bottom-out, rock-bottom experience that you have when you know that you're finished. And as you do that, you're also accepting what Jesus did for you. So there's an exchange that is happening in this moment for every single person that believes the gospel. It's, this is the old, and I'm stepping into this. And that's really hard for some of you that struggle with shame. That's really hard for some of you that you've been told your entire life, you know, you're not worth anything, you're not going to amount to anything, you've used drugs, you've been in jail this many times, you've done all of these different things. But there is this accepting, and I am telling you that there is a weight that comes off of you in this moment. If you never felt that weight lift off, 
there are some questions you may have. Now, of course, it's different when you're a child and you accept Christ at five, six, seven years old. That's a little bit different. You grow into that as you get older. But if you're a teenager, if you're somebody that's in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s and older, and you accept Christ, as you are turning over that old life, there is something new that is coming upon you. And you're like, I'm no longer responsible for those things. I am forgiven of those things. I was driving by, um, uh, and I didn't plan on talking about this, driving by a bar the other day, and, and just, just a, it was a bar, not a restaurant, just a bar, and Cora says, have, have you ever been there, or, or, or do you ever go there? And I said, no, I said, I don't go there. I don't have a, a reason to go there. And she said, why not? And I said, I just, I don't drink. And it hit me for the first time that she knows nothing about who I was, like nothing. And I like start crying because I recognize that whenever I embrace Christ and I seek forgiveness, that I'm not responsible for those things that were there. They've been washed away. And it's an amazing thing. And that's the, that's the point of Christian joy is that those old things, even if the pornography that you looked at last night, sorry, children, hold their ears, do whatever. All right. The things, the things that you looked at, the things that you're part of, now they're going to be asking later, what was that supposed to be? What's that word? Sorry, I'll, I'll try to do a little bit better. These fifth Sundays are tough for me. Hey, I was planning on doing the basement series today, and it was so raw, I switched, and I'm still not doing good. All right, so sorry, kids, earmuffs. All right, and then the third part of that is the repentance. So you've got confession. You've got accepting what Jesus did. And then you've got this, I'm stepping into the newness of life. And whenever you're around your old friends, it's really, really hard and whenever you're around your coworkers or certain family members and they see this difference, it's really, really hard. So believing the gospel is not simply, and I'm not real animated today, guys. Honestly, I'm just trying to talk over the rain. Okay, I'm a little bit animated. But this repentance, it takes us completely away from that life. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you don't still make mistakes. It doesn't mean that you don't still struggle. But there's something going on within you that changes this. This is what verse 7 says. Peter stood and addressed them. Fellow believers, you know that early on God chose me from among you as the one that would come to the Gentiles. This was more Acts 9, Acts 10, moving just a little bit further. Who would hear the word of the gospel and come to believe. What he is trying to do within the council is justify the fact that these people are Christians just like us because they have believed the gospel. And again, this believing the gospel is not okay, well, I, I'm going to agree with you. I think that makes sense. I think Jesus is the Son of God. Or, I, I, you know, I, I do bad things sometimes. I can, I can go with that. No. It's this transformation that changes everything about the way you walk in this world. So the first thing that we under, need to understand is that believing the gospel is not simple mental consent. But it's a transformation. I mean, Paul goes as far in Romans to call it metamorphi, meaning we're completely turning in to something else. But next comes, you know, at the same time as you're accepting all this, what we call the witness of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and you're like, what in the world does that mean? Like the witness of the Holy Spirit. So if I accept Jesus and I get saved, how am I different? And what is it in my life that brings about this difference? It is the witness of the Holy Spirit. So this is what this means. The passage goes on to tell us this. 
He who knows people's deepest thoughts and desires, God, confirmed this for the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us, Jews and Gentiles. So whenever you make this decision, the greatest evidence of knowing God in your life, so you may be saying, I'm not sure if I've done this. I don't know if I'm really saved. I don't know if whenever I made this decision, whenever I prayed this prayer, when I had this thought, I don't know if this is real. This is the greatest evidence. The greatest evidence of God in your life is the witness of the Holy Spirit in your life. You see, the disciples are scared to death whenever Jesus is going away. I believe it's John 8. It might be a little bit uh, further into John, but he starts to talk about his departure. And they're like, well, we don't know what to do, Jesus. You've been with us. You've led us through a few years. We don't know what to do. He says, don't worry, because I'm leaving an advocate, or I'm leaving a companion. I am leaving a friend. And when he talks about this, he's talking about the witness of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life, meaning whenever you've made this decision, and you're still sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, all of a sudden, when you're away from that encounter, you're just like, I I don't feel the same way about that that I did. I just don't. And I know that our culture looks at this very, very differently today. But you're probably going to be in a position where you're going to have to go against culture because all of a sudden, the things that you watch, like the way you spend your money, like all of a sudden, you're just like, there's this stirring inside of you. And this stirring inside of you is telling you it's, it's conflicting with the things that you would normally want to do, which is what we would call the flesh. I, I've always done this. I've always done that. And in the spirit that is working within you now, that doesn't allow you to do the things. It will drive you absolutely crazy. So what this means over time, it's not, it's not a, just right in the moment. But over time, you are becoming a different person. If you are in tune to what the Holy Spirit is doing, this active presence in your heart as a new believer, when you cuss, when you say some of the things that you do, when you gossip, as oh, gossip. I mean, the second something comes out of my mouth, somebody in Ingalls tried to get me into gossip this morning about a pastor that had messed up. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, I can't talk about this. I'm getting ready to go preach. But it's like these things come into your mind, and all of a sudden there's this switch. It's just like, you can't be part of this. You can't do this. This is no more. That's who you were. But that person is dead. But what we do almost every single day, people all the time, I'm a Christian, I believe, we resurrect the dead. We resurrect that old person, and we bring them right back in. Or when you're around us, you're real good and Christian. But whenever you're at work and you're in these other places, you're a completely different person. It's the witness of the Holy Spirit that comes in. Paul will go on to say in Romans 8, 14, all who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons and daughters. The same Spirit agrees with your spirit or our spirit that we are God's children. There is this indwelling that is within you. And the question that you need to ask yourself today is, is this indwelling within me? I mean, if you're simply able to say, well, that kind of bothers me, but I can look over it, that's more, that's more guilt. Okay, there's a difference between guilt and conviction, because you hear a lot of people say, well, I felt guilty about that. Well, I felt guilty about that decision. I don't know about you, but I can get over guilt pretty easy. But conviction, when God starts to minister something to my heart, this is what it means to know me, I just can't do it, because everything's completely different. So then this third thing that we have, so we have the witness of the Holy Spirit, 
We have belief in the gospel. These things are absolutely necessary. But he goes on to talk about the most beautiful word, in my opinion, in Greek, Greek, the word charis, the experience of grace. There's this experience of grace that must also take place because this is really what takes a sinner that is undeserving of the love of God, undeserving of coming into the presence of God and makes us what we need to be. So you may ask, what is the witness of the Holy Spirit? What is the gospel? This is language I heard in Sunday school, you know, Matt, back years ago. And I think it brings up another really interesting question. What in the world is grace? And how in the world do we even give a word like that, even any justice whatsoever? So in his book, What is So Amazing About Grace, which is a wonderful book, Philip Yancey describes this conference on comparative religion and what, the, what they're doing is they're sitting around this table and all the experts in the world on religion are talking about what are some of the differences in religion in the world. C.S. Lewis walks into the room kind of in the middle of the discussion and he's asked, what is Christianity's unique contribution to world religions? And he says, oh, that's easy. It's grace. And Lewis was right, Yancey added. No other religion places grace at its theological center. It's this revolutionary idea, as Yancey puts it. Grace seems to go against every human instinct. We are naturally drawn to covenants and to karma, to cause and effect, and to earning what we are going to receive, but grace is different. And here's a definition. If, you, if, you've, if you're not familiar with the concept of grace, or maybe you've just never really understood what it is, it is the unmerited favor of God, unconditional love to the undeserving. So what you need to hear today, and what you need to understand, because a lot of people say, I need to clean myself up before I come to God. I'm not even going to be able to go to church, or I'm not even going to be able to consider prayer and some of these other things if I don't first make sure I do this. I have a felon, maybe multiple felons. I've been divorced this many times. I've got these things going on in my life, and church people have a really, really hard time with some of those things, so there's no way that I'm ever going to be welcome in that situation. Grace says that regardless of what you've done or where you've been, when you come to Jesus and you ask forgiveness, there is a complete eradication of everything that you've done. You don't deserve it. There is nothing that you can do, and there is no other religion that gives this promise, because every other religion, it's do better, do better, read more of this, do more of this. Grace comes and finds us at our weakest moments and picks us up. So how do we walk in this life? How do we continue in our struggles, in our darkness, in our fear, in our temptations with everything else? It's because some of you remember, you can recognize whenever you are swooped up from darkness and you are placed into his marvelous light. Others of you, it wasn't even just the moment of salvation. It was last week whenever you hurt your wife. It was when you lost that job and you made some really, really bad decisions. And you recognize that sometimes people are not going to forgive you, but the forgiveness of God is available 24 hours of day. Some of you come in here right now, you were drunk last night, you, you're, you're cheating, you're doing all these different things. And the freedom that's available to someone who believes they are perfect 
God sees you the exact same way. He loves you at your best, but he also loves you at your worst. And there is nothing that you're ever going to receive that looks like that. So the shame that some of you carry, the hurt that you feel, the darkness in your life, that I'm not going to try again because I've messed up so many times, that is not God speaking, that is the enemy. Because grace brings forgiveness every single time. He goes on to say, did I give a depth? Okay, good. It's the unconditional favor of God, the unconditional love given to the undeserving, and we are all undeserving. Yancey goes on to say it's a difficult concept to understand because it isn't entirely rational. And it's not rational. Because if you make a mistake, someone in your family, or law enforcement, or someone at your job, they get angry with you. There are consequences. It's not as simple as God, take me out of this, forgive me, and then all of a sudden being able to step back onto dry land into the complete newness of life. So it's not entirely rational. Grace defines reason and logic. And as Bono said of you too, and I love this, love interrupts the consequences of our actions. It interrupts it. As you are making mistakes, the grace of God still pours deeply in to who you are. Grace shows the need for God in the first place. So as we walk through this salvation process and we look at like, what does it mean to come to know God? And this is one of my favorite things about John Wesley's theology, the doctrine of grace. There's this idea of pervenient grace, meaning you don't just come to God, okay? You don't just decide one day, well, I think I'm going to be a Christian. You know how some people, this is what they'll do. They'll say, I'm going to be wild in my 20s, but then when I get in my 30s, I'm going to start raising my kids in church. Well, you can start raising your kids in church at that time, but that is not the same thing as the Holy Spirit drawing you in. Even the initiating draw of God comes from God. So all of a sudden, you're an atheist, you're agnostic, uh, you're a universalist, you have all of these different viewpoints, and then all of a sudden you start to have these questions. And all of a sudden it enters your mind, maybe all Christian people aren't crazy. Uh, maybe this is not some false reality. Should I consider praying? What, what's wrong with me? Like, am I having a midlife crisis? No, it's the pervenient grace of God. All of a sudden, some of you in church this morning, you're like, I've not been to church in years. What brought me here? What is making me make these decisions when years ago I had all of these negative things to say about church? It's God drawing you in. And when you're drawn in and you start to feel that conviction in your life, we call that justifying grace. And that's the point at which you accept Jesus and everything from the past is removed and everything new is invited to come in. And I'm here to tell you, if you've not experienced the new, when it comes in, it hits you like a tidal wave of love, like that rain. It hits you like a tidal wave of love that just destroys you where you are. You sit in places and you just cannot stop weeping when you think about how good God is. But you want to know something? Even after you accept him, you can't do the walk on your own. And this is where we have what we call sanctifying grace. And that means that after you've accepted Christ and you're trying to take this, this walk and you're still making mistakes and you still do things that you're really not proud of, God is still carrying you every single step of the way. Paul again goes on to say this in Romans. It isn't the Jew who maintains outward appearances. Sorry, church people. 
who will receive praise from God. It isn't people who are outwardly circumcised on their body. Instead, it is the person who is a Jew inside. It's the person who's been changed inside, who is circumcised in spirit, not literally. Paul will go on to to write about a circumcision of the heart. That person's praise doesn't come from people, but it comes from God. So the most valuable thing that I can tell you today, the most important thing that I can share with you today is this. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's not Jesus plus all of your self-help psychology. It's not Jesus plus your favorite podcasts. It's not Jesus. Anything that you can add to Jesus is going to water down Jesus. The cross has the final word. It's always going to be enough. It satisfies everything that is within. And when you start adding all of these other different components, it's like those of you who maybe take like a perfectly seasoned steak, and this steak is perfect the way it is, and you start to like drown it with steak sauce. Or you take like the perfect gourmet coffee. Like, and you know where I'm going with this. And you start, you're that person that takes sugar and cream. And you just, I hope there aren't, there are some of those people in here. And that's okay. We will pray for you. People are raising their hands. But you just got like this perfect coffee. And then all of a sudden, you like, taste this. See if you think it's good. I'm, I am drinking pure sugar. Where's the coffee in this? So we water these things down. So it brings about another important question. How is it that a person comes about the Christian life? I don't assume for a second that everybody in here knows Jesus. Because I sat in church for a long time and did not know Jesus. Now, I don't know that I'm on the same page with Billy Graham uh, with this, but years ago he had said something like he believed that 75%, he might have said 95% of the evangelical church is lost. That's staggering if you think about it. And and that's not for me to say. You know where you are in your relationship with God. The question is this. What have you built that upon? A, belief in the gospel. Belief in the gospel to the point that it's radically uh, transformed the way that you live your life. It's not just been some mental affirmation. Number two, the witness of the Holy Spirit, meaning that whenever you go through your day-to-day life, there is some kind of confirmation within you letting you know, I've, I've got to step away from this. Like, I know that, that I've, I've been part of this circle, or I've done this, or I've done that for so long, but this is damaging to me. I know that politically I held this certain viewpoint for a really long time, but the Holy Spirit is starting to convict me because this does not line up with Scripture. And the Spirit is always going to line up with where Scripture is 100% of the time. Otherwise, if you're trying to switch things around and move them around, that's you. That's not the Holy Spirit. And in the experience of grace that reaches down so deep, And picks us up and carries us. How does a person come about this life? How does a person come to know Jesus? Is it something that we initiate? Is it something that we try to do? A few months ago, Cora and I were leaving one of our our favorite after church restaurants, uh, Giovanni's. 
down here down the road. Can't eat it now because I'm trying to watch what I, what I eat. But we were leaving Giovanni's, and I, I saw a car. It looked exactly like the car I just sold, and I, I, I darted across over to Hardy's over there to look. And um, a woman got out of the car, uh, two, two women got out of the car, and it looked exactly like the car I just sold, my 2007 Volvo S80. And uh, I asked her, I said, how do you like your Volvo? Because I'm weird like that. I bother people. And uh, she said, I really, really like it. And I noticed that it had uh, uh, dealer tags on it. So I thought, maybe this is my car. I said, where did you get that car? And she told me, and sure enough, it was my car. 70,000 people in Johnson City. And about a month after I sell my car, a few weeks after I sell my car, I run into it. So I asked her uh, one last question. I said, so what, what is it that made you decide to go with a Volvo? And she kind of got this smile on her face, and she said, well, it just sort of called my name. Now, that may sound weird uh, to a lot of you, but I was able to relate to that for some strange reason. Because I remember in August of 1997, growing up in a church as, as, as churchy as church gets, and a really good teenage kid for the most part, you know, didn't party and stuff like that. But some of you have that feeling where you're kind of on the inside with the people here, the relationships and things like that. But something still kind of makes you feel like you're on the outside. And I don't know how to explain that beyond experience, but that was the feeling that I had as a teenager. But I remember when he called my name. And when he called my name, he transformed everything about my heart and about my life. And for the first time in a long time as a teenager, I was able to lay down and sleep with peace, knowing that my eternity was secure. Now, you fast forward, I ended up going into ministry, but I started to have a lot of doubts and questions, and I completely walked away from my faith for many years. But grace was chasing me because I was already his. You know, the lost sheep and the shepherd, the shepherd was pursuing me. And in 2013, you guys have heard the story before, in that hotel room in Paintsville, Kentucky, an alcoholic, he sort of started calling my name again. And he called me into sobriety and back into practicing my faith. And it was the most exciting time of my faith that I think that I've ever, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurry up, but I think that I've ever experienced. I had, Beth and I had so much joy. We had a college group start to meet at the house. And it was just such a season where you don't have to deal with all the hard stuff with ministry, but you're just getting to have people come into your house. And there was this, this guy who was a pastor, a college student, and he asked me to come to speak at his church. And I was scared to death to. I was like, there is no way I can do this. I've got like ministry PTSD. Like there's no possible way I'm going to be able to do this again. And I go to his church, and this is no lie. We were driving. It was about an hour drive. And I told Beth, I was driving. I said, I think I'm going blind. Like my anxiety was so strong. There were about 20 people there today, that day. And my anxiety was so bad that I thought I was losing my sight. And whenever I got there, I just felt like I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. Till the moment I got up there, I open up a Bible and I start to read it. 
And it was like I had never left. That many years. Drugs. The only time I prayed for years when I, was when I was coming down off cocaine. And it's like he just ushered me back in. You know that, uh, for those of you that are sports fans, when Michael Jordan said, I'm back, and he went back. Okay, it wasn't that dramatic, all right? But it was like, but it was like, I'm back. Like he still, he still wants to use me. I'm not just some disposable piece of junk. Like he wants to do something. And I told Beth, we left. She said, she said the other day, she said, I knew. She said, I knew. And then God sort of called me to United Theological Seminary. And I spent the next four and a half years back and forth to Dayton, Ohio, learning and sharpening this craft that God had given me, led me to Destination Community Church. And then he sort of called my name and told me to come back here. The point with all of that is this. God is sort of calling some names today. And it may be the first experience with salvation, with real genuine, a real genuine relationship with him than you've ever had in your life. It may be that he is calling you by name into a deeper walk. It may be that he is calling you to recommit your life today. It may be that you're dealing with a calling in your life or some kind of direction, and he is calling you into that today. My prayer for you and all week, as well as the leadership of our church, is that you will respond to this voice. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed. I know that there are some individuals in here and you may say, Matt, I don't have this relationship that you're talking about. I recognize that right now. I feel the heaviness on me. I remember the time after, after church, Tyra Branham, she came up to me. She said, I've got to get saved Like, I have got to accept Jesus. I've got to do it today. She was getting ready to go to a new person class. I said, well, let's do it right now. And I put my hand on her back, and she's trembling like the Holy Spirit is all over her. Today is the day of salvation. And I'm not asking for an emotional response or some kind of impulse. I'm not asking you to pray to accept Christ because you feel bad about what you did last night. But for some of you in here right now, you're just tired. And you're ready for a new direction. And you've wondered, am I saved? Do I I know that I'm going to go to heaven whenever I die? And if you are ready today to accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus is the Son of God and was raised from the dead, we will be saved. So this morning, if you feel that, if you know that today is the day that you need to make that decision, you can pray this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I can't do it without you. I'm asking that you forgive me of my sins. I trust in you and your resurrection. And from this day forward, it is my desire to follow you. Now with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer this morning to accept Jesus, would you raise your hand just so that we can acknowledge 
that that decision has been made. I saw, I, anybody else? I saw your hands there. Anybody else? Anyone else? One, one gentleman this morning. Anybody else? So, sir, what I'm going to ask you to do, we have a Connect card right in front of you. Just simply fill that out and let us know that you made that decision today. Because what we want to be able to do is we want to be able to follow up with you just to make sure that you know that you made that decision. Can we give this guy a hand today for the decision that he made? Uh, Father, we come to you and we thank you. God, we praise you for the work that you do. God, we turn ourselves completely over to you. And God, I pray is that we continue to worship, Father. We look back on the day that we accepted you, God. And as we invite people down to the altar, if there are others who need to come down, Father, this may be the last opportunity some people have to accept Christ in their natural life. God, we pray for a spirit of conviction upon their lives. We thank you and we praise you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Believer's Church of Johnson City Podcast. Make sure you join us again next week. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and information about Believer's Church. God bless and have a great day.